0: Welcome to De- the VESA digital uh, podcast. Tune in as we delve into the digital world of entrepreneurship and uncover the strategies and tactics of successful online business leaders. I'm super happy to uh, welcome our uh, guest, Arne Peter Blix, who is a principal at Akka Invest Norway, the chairman of Corp RT Think Tank, the CEO of CL Invest AS, a board member at Softweed, and the co-founder of Upstock. Uh, Arne was an officer at the Royal Norwegian Navy and has over 20 years of experience as a CEO within tech companies. In this episode, uh, he's going to share some of the biggest lessons learned under high stress situations from leading submarine crew to leading tech and climate action projects operating in high stakes environments today. So I welcome you. Thank you for being here, Arne.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Excellent. So uh, Arnie is uh, in uh, Oslo, uh, Norway right now, and I understand there is a lot of snow and it's cold. <laughs> That's why he's got the big jacket on. So uh, <clears throat> one of the things I always uh, like to get into is uh, entrepreneurship and how one went through some struggles as as a child and what, generally speaking, successful people uh, go through to basically start a business or become an entrepreneurship entrepreneur. And, uh, there's always a reason why you do it initially. And I think that changes as we get older and we get wiser. So I guess one of, one of the first questions is what led you to, uh, to go on the path of uh, entrepreneurship?
1: Oh, a bit of, a bit of mix of, um, uh, chance and fortune and understanding and opportunity, I guess, and, and uh, seeking a bit of an adventure, I guess. So um, as a former naval officer, I, uh, the Cold War at that time was ending, and I was looking to transcend into uh, business life. Um, and typically coming from Navy, it, it became the shipping industry in Norway. And I was working in a very conform business then at the DNV, the Norwegian Vessel Classification Society, and then as a lobbyist in the Shipowner Association in the UN, and as a trader. Um, and then the IT bubble bursted, and nine uh, eleven crashed the market for for. Uh, so, so at you know, in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, the world was uh, a bit strange place, and strange place, strange times gives opportunity. So I moved back to Norway and we started a FinTech, uh, very counter-cyclical to anything. And this was around equity-based incentives, accounting, valuation, and and disclosure. And uh, it was just that I I met uh, passionate people with a good idea, a good plan. And I came in as the um, head of sales business development, co-founder type of guy. And um, and so a bit of a mix of having an open mind to see opportunity and and taking being risk willing enough to take that opportunity. Okay, that's
0: great. So, um, what do you? What's one thing that uh, you would have known before you started your whole career? Like, if there's one thing you can think about and say, "Man, I, I shouldn't have done this." <laughs> can you think
1: of something like that? Uh, well, you forget to divide the, the time, uh, sorry, to multiply the time with uh, the euro number, 2.7 something, and uh, you forget to think that things normally also cost pi more than you think. Um, in short, uh, things take longer time, much longer time than, than you think, and it takes 7, 10 years at least to build a business up to you know, the point where you can either sell it or you can um, transcend into a different new stage. So it takes a much longer time and it's um, it's more turbulent than you think. Right. And what would you say was your...
0: I, I, I understand you had several exits and different uh, companies. What, what was your, you would say, most successful one? Can you walk us through some of the, you know, how you started and maybe some of the... Uh, challenges initially and then, you know, maybe through the exit and different challenges you had in there. I think a lot of the viewers today, uh, a lot of our clients at Vesa Digital are in that uh, category where they have their uh, company running and they're trying to scale and they are scaling and they're looking to exit, you know, in the next uh, two, three, four years, right? So, is there a story maybe that you have that you can think of where, Oh my God! I, I can't believe this happened, or you know something interesting that you can think of. I'm sure you have many.
1: <laughs> well, exactly. Then in 2002, we started this business, and uh, they had been giving it some thought three years prior to to do a software as a service fintech. But there was no software as a service at that time. It was install base. So we were one of the first software as a service fintech companies because that was the time when you, you started to actually deliver things on active service pages or ASP if you like, and then as a browser based service. And, um, the first year, my, my founder, uh, got cancer, uh, again, and couldn't work. Uh, the second year, my C CTO, uh, his son got very sick. And, um, uh, from the four, Starting, all of a sudden, it was all, almost only me there for a while uh, running uh, a lot of things that I couldn't, didn't know how to do, but you just have to because you've already... We, we were very early of getting clients. <laughs> so we already, in the second, third year of operation, we had 10 public companies as our clients, and you just can't disappoint them. Then, then you're finished. So you just have to make do. Um, and then... In 2009, we had 80 um, percent of the listed companies in Norway as our clients, and had started to move into uh, the Nordic countries. And we got Deutsche Bank as a client. At that time, we were nine employees. <laughs> wow! Wow! And your business critical software for uh, for Deutsche Bank, not just for them, but for their clients, to deliver this sort of service. Um, it took a lot of convincing and a lot of personal relation to, to bridge the trust because we were too small. We were too small uh, as a business. We had few, pe- not enough people. So all of the risk and compliance people at Deutsche Bank, of course, they thought, you know, we can't do this. So we were able to convince the decision makers still that uh, we, they could trust us. And that was more of a personal relation B2B sale. Uh, you're not going to lose your job if you trust me to deliver what, that we can deliver what. But that's that's really CEO to CEO or to managing director in this case uh, within Deutsche Bank. And that was a big breakthrough, of course. <clears throat> and then we got several other banks on board. And uh, a lot of the growth that happened then, we had several Opportunities to sell the business or to take money in, but we never did. We were bootstrapped the whole way. Um, Yeah, maybe. what would have happened if we took venture capital? What would have happened if we moved to the U.S. and continued building the business there instead of in Norway? Would the business have been five or ten times bigger? Maybe. I don't know. Um, eventually, I stepped down in 2013 after 10 years as CEO, um, focusing on selling or getting the next stage of the business because it's very, very hard to raise capital and build a business at that speed at the same time. And we had several failed attempts, and I was I was getting tired. Um, and um, that's also something you learn over time as a founder to or a co-founder in this case for me to, to um, balance your life a bit more, a bit better. I had two kids over this period uh, whom I barely knew because I had 150 days travel per year. So, you know, um, and then we sold it first time, 2015. Um, and in a um, growth model to a private equity firm. Uh, we created uh, Equatex and then that company was sold to Computershare in 2018. So it, it was quite a ride. Uh, the last five years I was not part of the operational business. I was more on the strategy and, and planning my own exit and starting my own investment company in my own investment portfolio. Uh, so it was um, very busy years. Um, right. But yeah, I think that, that that's my biggest achievement to date. And then I thought I was going to do it again. And I invested in Upstock and a lot of all the other Dry Lab and a lot of the other companies as co founder, typically, and thought, yes, I'll do it again. And um, um, yeah, uh, none of them have crashed, but uh, none of them have gone exactly as planned either. Some are doing really well, uh, are about to list on Stock Exchange IPO, and others are more going sideways. But, you know, in the meantime, we've had, we've had some tough years. The last three, four years for everyone has been tough. So, um, and then I could tell you a lot of stories about that, but I, I think that's the, the biggest one so far, uh, and uh, it learned, taught me a lot. Right. Well, I think
0: that, that that's amazing. I think one of the, one of the dreams that entrepreneurs have is uh, is you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start my company or start three companies. I'm gonna exit them all. I'm gonna make a hundred million dollars, and then I'm just gonna sit back, relax, and invest into you know fifty different startups. Right? I mean that's the dream uh, scenario that people always talk about. Right? Now it's really cool to talk to somebody like you because you obviously are in that that space. So, if you had to, I, I don't want to say do it again, but what what would you do different with an exit in terms of you know moving to the next stage? In other words, you've you've put in your work, you've done you've done the eighty hours a week for ten years, twenty years, whatever it is, and now you just want to sit back, relax in a big you know plush uh, chair, and the uh, you know the guy that directs all the different things right and that's not really reality right so what 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 would you say to somebody that is in may, maybe they're pre exit you know and they had this 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 dream about <clears throat> doing exactly that like would you take you know a year off two years off three years off would you uh, focus on maybe three companies ten companies would you take that uh, capital and invest it into Something else that will give you fulfillment, so to speak, right? Because you know, retirement doesn't exist for us. You, you know, we're guys that want to work and never, never retire. Because if we do, we might as well jump off a bridge. <laughs> so you know, it's uh, it's it's something that we need to do. It's inside of us. It's uh, we're driven by by something uh, initially money and eventually it's a it's a purpose. It's a mission. So can you speak a little bit about that uh, that that uh, post-exit anxiety, I suppose, that you have, (laughs) you know?
1: uh, (laughs) Well, it it is a very good question and I wish I had been asked this question earlier uh, or had listened to someone else answer this question earlier because, yeah, I I truly made a couple of mistakes. I can say that now uh, it's uh, seven years, uh, almost eight years since um, my exit in 2015, and uh, you should have thought that I had planned it better what I was going to do when the exit actually happened. So, yeah, I, I, I bought a house and uh, etc., and did it up, and uh, so the family was happy, etc. But what I did, which was I think a bit of a mistake, is um, I went, I stretched too far. I I went into 10 different uh, investments, uh, still you know, having the mindset of uh, everything is possible and um, the confidence that I, I knew I could do it. So I was overconfident and I invested in too many. And uh, everything was looking super, but some of these took an unexpected turn. And uh, you know, uh, some companies can be easy to run for five years, and then the sixth year, they become, you know, a, a total energy drain, twenty-four-seven rescue mission. And this happened when I I, I invested in a company called Nea Wallet, uh, which um, I knew fintech, I understood the technology. It was open loop, uh, complying to Mastercard, Visa card dynamics. Uh, standards, and it was really looking great. But what I didn't think of was most investors don't see this. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of wallet companies out there. So it became impossible to fund it further. You know, unexpected, right team, right technology, wrong timing. And so there's a lot of new things I didn't know because I I didn't have experience as an investor. And all of a sudden, I go in and invest in 10 companies. And that was um, a bit hot-headed and um, um, it became a much more heavy. So you should invest less than, you know, I took basically half of the table and then invested the other half. Don't do that. Take 80% off the table. And, then <laughs> and, 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 don't, and don't go 10, go five or four or three, focus your energy. And uh, then your life will be better, not as stressful as mine. And uh, you will sleep more than I did in 2015, 16, 17, 18. Now, because I didn't sleep so much during those years, none of those companies went bankrupt. But it's because uh, when things get tough, you, you you just have to put in the hours and do the work. And uh, in retrospect, um, yeah, I I, um, I would urge people who see this podcast uh, plan better, calm down, take a bit of uh, maybe half a year off and think about and plan it. I didn't do that so much, and um, yeah, um, that's what I would have uh, done differently.
0: Right. Well, that's that's a, a amazing advice. I think that applying the eighty twenty principle with everything in life it really uh, can help and. Get rid of some of the headaches and, and whatnot. I th- I think it's a very interesting point what we just talked about, and uh, it's uh, it's it's fascinating to to see entrepreneurs in, in whatever space have that mindset. And I think with this wisdom, uh, you know, you can save millions of dollars and and, and thousands of hours of of, of, of uh, work and sleepless nights and all this kind of thing. Um, I want to know what uh, you know if you can think of. Three people that have been most influential in your life—you know, somebody like a mentor, or maybe a relative, or uh, even historical person. You know, so can you think of uh, a few people that really guided you in terms of who who you are and uh, what or you who, who you wanted to be? You know,
1: a uh, historical person uh, is easy. Uh, I've always been a fan of Churchill, Winston Churchill. Um... Well, not, not all, of all the cigars and the uh, champagne and uh, whatnot, but uh, the fact that he was able to uh, turn an impossible situation around and uh, had to uh, make impossible decisions with very little information. And um, as a submarine driver, as a skier uh, in the, you know, uh, outback, and uh, I've also been flying planes for a hobby sailplanes and uh, in the mountains on skis and wheels and and floats. Uh, It's all about your ability to uh, evaluate situations and and make decisions with a limited amount of information. And that's leadership and it's um, loneliness. And that's the same thing in many cases. So, so that's number one. Number two, I've had the pleasure. Well, my my father was um, sick with MS before I was born, even. So I never grew up with uh, an able uh, guy who could go out like I will do today, skiing with my kids. Uh, but um, so, so there was no mentor there. My uncle was a bit of a successful American uh, dream, moved over there and did a big uh, career there. So. Somewhat, but, but because of this lack of a father figure, I've always been sort of chasing uh, people to listen to and to ask questions. Um, and this is not just from the Navy time, but also later on, I've always worked with uh, CEO bosses who have been 15, 20 plus years older than me. This is also the case today. My um, the, the the founder and chairman of CLNS, the company I today run, he is 20 years older than me, and the board is also 20 years older than me, almost in average. And uh, <clears throat> so I always have had the the pleasure of a network of five, seven, ten people around me uh, with close connections, where there would be a natural exchange of. Maybe energy and and whatever I can offer, and experience from their side, and I would ask questions and get some or and be able to have a dialogue about difficult situations. And without that network of uh, people to call, and actually a big network in this case of people to call with different skill sets for different problems, so I would call different people for different uh, periods or different challenges I'm facing. I wouldn't have a chance. So I think that would be the second answer. And uh, the third one would be, um, there are people uh, who also here in Norway who are have been very successful on uh, doing exactly what I've been trying to do, uh, who are five years, seven years ahead of me. Uh, one of them is my cousin. Uh, Another of them is a former uh, Navy officer who has a very similar uh, career to, or you can at least compare it to mine. So I've I've been looking at, you know, some of these um, as, well, I wouldn't want to become them, but I you know, I can see what they've done and I would want to do something slightly similar but also slightly different in my own way. But they would be examples to sort of follow, yes.
0: That's amazing. I think, I think one of the things that is a shortcut in business life is to get mentors. And I think a lot of people are scared to ask for help, especially guys <laughs> that uh, you know perceive it as a weakness, right? And I don't think it's a weakness. I think it's a strength when you ask people, About Hey, what did you do in this situation? And I'm feeling this way and I'm getting overwhelmed and all this kind of thing. And getting mentors is probably one of the most important things that that I can think of uh, to to help uh, myself, obviously, uh, move ahead. And it doesn't have to even be business. It can just be in life. You know, I mean, we all have to go through uh, hardships and different things. And I think that uh, that is so important, especially now, I believe with you know, the technology and the addiction to, to social media and whatnot, I think we, we really have to make a much bigger effort, uh, especially the younger generation, to go out there and meet people and talk to people and join groups and, uh, and uh, be social. I think business and life is about being social and being successful at being social and not online social, but, you know, face-to-face, even though we're obviously using... Technology right now. I mean, we're on different sides of the, of the world. So there's the positives, but I think it's very important to not forget to meet your, your posse, you know, to meet your tribe, to have the people around you that you, you know, you, you, you go skiing with, you go play football, you, whatever the case may be. I think, you know, psychologically, it's one of those really, really important things. So I, I, I love your story. I, I think, uh, many people, uh, try to please their father, you know and uh, chase something that doesn't exist. And then one day you realize, you know, there's nothing to chase, right? I, I have to become comfortable in my own skin, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm really curious about your uh, some of your, your ventures that uh, you kind of see moving forward. I know that, uh, you know, you used to chase probably financial freedom. And, you know, uh, my guess is that now you're probably chasing... And, or something different can you can you talk a little bit about what what you're what are you chasing now
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, so so i've always've always been uh, a bit of a deep thinker um, I guess when you're on a submarine you, you you become that you have to play chess you have to think ahead you have to understand the risk and the domain you are in. I've always tried, and I've always been on the side of uh, David in the David Goliath. So always, when when we did equity-based incentives, it was about balancing uh, the the relationship between the uh, owner, employer, and the employees. And uh, a lot of the other uh, friend is about privacy and uh, ownership of data, which has been important and it still is very important and Mm relevant um so all of the all of my portfolio companies have been about more than just the money because if it's not more than just the money you won't put in the extra hours it will be more difficult to motivate you but if you know it's a bit flippant when people say if you love what you do you're not working you have a hobby it's kind of a mix but it has to be all these things and um I left the energy industry uh, as an oil and gas trader, petrochemical gas in Houston in 2002, when when the market crashed after 9-11, etc. And also because I felt that it was not a sustainable uh, industry, uh, not earth positive. And I'm an earth positive guy. I'm a skier, I'm an outdoor person. I'm, I love nature, all these things. Norwegians do, and me very much so. Uh, So um, now, two years ago, I was offered the chance of um, moving into this direction again. And as of 1st of January, 2022, I took on this job as the CEO for CL Invest, which is an investment company. Uh, It's like a venture capital firm, hands-on that invests in immediate climate action. So emission reduction projects servicing energy companies in emerging companies uh, countries so we have office in nigeria lagos we have office that i'm building up in iraq so i'm actually going to iraq in four hours this afternoon oh, wow. to okay. and then to to uh, baghdad and um uh, we have a lot of uh, best lot of uh, projects in central asia and um all of the More challenging countries where most people don't find it natural to take a vacation or natural to go at all because of risks or whatever. That is now my play field. And um, the reason for this choice is it's it's a kinder egg. You know, Uh, it is meaningful. Uh, It's very difficult and challenging. So very few can do it or want to do it. And um, it has to be profitable, because if it's not profitable, it, uh, it won't work. Because um, in getting people to do uh, what you would say is Mother Earth-friendly, nature-friendly things, um, are, it's not necessarily something uh, people or organizations will do unless they also make money. So you have to make it profitable to reduce emissions CO2 and CO2 equivalent and we are particularly chasing methane methane is um, 84 times worse than CO2 in a in a 20 year time frame and as you most probably people know these days the 20 next years will be the most important in in our global challenge of reducing emissions quickly enough so that our children grandchildren etc can Go skiing, for example. Right. So that that kind of sparks
0: a question for me. Like, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions about that industry? You know, so you talked about global emissions, and I mean there's two camps. You know, there's the camp of it doesn't exist, and then there's the camp that's a little bit on the completely other side, and it's like we're all gonna die in, in two years. What do you think is the biggest misconception that you can see in, in that whole space?
1: Oh that's a huge one, and um, luckily there are scientists in the uh, UNF Triple um, and etc. that I can um, leave to explain why scientists believe we are have a problem. But if you look on, um, we have gone through a pandemic now, and all of the world have been looking at exponential curves. And I'm drawing it this way because that's what you will. we've been all looking at, our numbers and exponential growth. Um, and if you look at the exponential growth of, of um, CO2 parts per million in the atmosphere, historic. And we can measure this in um, old ice in Antarctica, uh, in uh, glaciers, and you can see... What was the ppm back in this, and is it the human activity, is it solar activity? You know, then you can look at um, population on the planet for the last three, four, five thousand years, and you will see the same elliptic curve. And um, I would say um, I'm not a necessarily a betting man, but I'm, I'm math and numbers have they come easy to me, and I see patterns, and I would say, yeah. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that there might be a correlation here. So in any case, uh, it's probably good to stop some of these emissions uh, for XYZ purposes. There's benzene, there's low ground level ozone, there's a lot of other stuff, which is bad. So for me, uh, if I'm 80% right or 90% right or 70% right, it's the right direction. And uh, if I can also make it profitable, to be more energy-efficient because we're shutting down emissions from existing infrastructure. And it's the existing infrastructure we can really do something about. We're not helping anyone building new infrastructure. We're not helping anyone finding more hydrocarbons. We're only helping uh, to reduce emissions from existing um, existing productions. So I can sleep well with this and I can live well with myself and and I feel that I'm contributing in the right direction.
0: Right. Well, that's awesome. That's amazing. I mean, uh, for myself, I I love traveling around the world and uh, just like you, I love some of the more obscure places as well. You know, I'm uh, planning a trip to Iran uh, uh, within this year and uh, a couple of different places that, you know, people don't want to go to, but, you know, there's, humans living everywhere and they live a life of uh, interesting uh, uh, happenings, I suppose. And I just, I am fascinated with different cultures and different things. So that's, that's super cool. Talk about uh, maybe uh, technology, like uh, how do you personally utilize technology or how would you like to utilize it in the next two or three years? Like, can you think of some examples, that are going to help you in your next endeavors?
1: Uh, well, um, in work-wise, um, I have been a fan of the distributed ledger technology, also known as blockchain, since uh, the inception. I come from fintech, so I, I do understand the distributed uh, databases, etc. I've even tried my own ICO once, so I, I would say I, I understand these things. But, but from technology business perspective, not, I don't code much anymore, and I was never a good one. I did Turbo Pascal in 1990, up to 1994, but, so, but, um, in what I do today for verification, monitoring and reporting purposes, for sure, uh, blockchain has, a, has a, a bright future, I think, but it will take long time for adoption. Um, when it comes to myself, I, uh i still like physical books when i read them i'm slowly reading a bit more on a pad or a digital surface i um i have no shares in remarkable but i can say remarkable is a remarkable tool which is actually helping you think better because you 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 write down and uh, i can probably get some uh this is free marketing but it's really You know, find smart ways to work more efficient and then also try, even though I'm not a big Microsoft fan, I do like the fact that they're, you know, in my business today, I have to use um, tools which are used by most of the international oil companies, energy companies, uh, national energy companies and independents. And so there's a lot of Microsoft business software out there. And, but it has started to tell me in Microsoft Viva, um, how much time I spend on different behaviors. And that awareness I think is important because uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And you people, I think we all should start to measure a bit and be aware how much time are we actually spending per day on our phone, in Facebook, in Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever the tool is, how much mail, when do I do it, is that smart? Should I do it like this? Maybe I should do it a different way. And this is about sleeping patterns. It's about uh, focused time, non-focused time. And it's really about balance. And um, for someone like me, and uh, if you go on clinvest.com, you will see what we're doing. You will understand I am in the front line. I'm managing a company which is in the front line of immediate climate action in the most challenging environments on the planet—it's risk, 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 all the time, and unless you then have a, you know, some tools around you to try to figure out if you are balancing, so you can decompress. Uh, that means also workout. Um, one of the smartest thing I did last year was I took a digital, wonderful Ana. Uh, mental coach, mind shifter coach. Find someone to talk to. Find that person who can just, doesn't matter if she or he is young or old, but talk to someone who can help you think a bit about how do you manage your energy, your life, your health. And then she helped me prepare for this. And since I've been doing PT, uh, so, and it gets done, it's not cheap, but I do it every two times a week, no mercy, 6 a.m. at Tuesdays and Thursdays, no exceptions, no excuses. And unless you have some something like this to really balance you and decompress you, uh, you will burn out. You won't be at your top game. So, yeah, yeah I agreed. think uh, te- using technology to, to try to help me manage myself better is probably the right. answer.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it all comes back to mental health and being able, when you say balance uh, work with your, your mental health, it is, I think, going to be even more important in the next 5, 10, 20 years to be able to, to, to make sure your mental health is really uh, at par uh, and whether that includes working out or meditating and, and whatnot. And you have to have uh, something that you do every single day and you have to be very disciplined about it. Discipline is what it's all about. So I agree with you. That's 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 fantastic. Great points. Um, you know, we're gonna wrap it up here soon. Uh, I know you have to go to uh, Iraq. Uh, if you were in my shoes, what question would you have asked yourself that I
1: didn't? <laughs> Whoa! Uh, I wish I had more time to think about that. But <laughs>
0: I know I put you on the spot. But maybe something that you maybe wanted you thought about uh, before the podcast or something that maybe came up while we were talking and uh, you know something maybe it can be something so you got already
1: (laughs) I think I I have it Um, what do you consider to be your superpower most people have maybe one or two or three superpowers what do you consider to be your superpower that would probably be the question
0: Right. So what, what is your superpower?
1: <laughs> uh, to connect at a fairly deep level very quickly with other human beings. It's, and this is about communication and the ability to create an environment of trust between people. And it has to be real. You can't fake this. It has to be real. And uh, I think already now, uh, listeners, yourself, um, you understand what I just did and how I just said it. It's, mm-hmm. And it's about brutal honesty and it's about uh, sincerity and being uh, genuine. And um, for good and bad, of course, uh, I also have uh, things I need to be better at, etc. I'm not perfect, but that to be able to create that connection, um, yeah, I, I hope it is. And I, I, I am trying to nurture it so that it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, yes. Right.
0: Well, that's, that's awesome. I think that uh, connection with, with other human beings is so important. And I think that uh, some people have it naturally. I think uh, us older guys, we probably lived in an era where it was more important. I think now you has, there has to be more of a, a conscious thing. But uh, at the end of the day, it's all about human connections, and uh, I agree with you. That's it. And final last question is uh, what does uh, freedom mean to you now that you've gone through all the exits and you've uh, done uh uh, your service for your country and you've skied around the world, probably, I imagine. What, what does freedom really mean to you? Mm.
1: Uh, I think it's the ability to, um, continu- to to continue to put yourself in situations where you get to learn more of what you want to know more about. And, and uh, that is, uh, in other words, the freedom to get close to and choose or influence uh, which people of quality can influence you. Because you, you are and you become uh, some sort of a reflection or mix of the people you surround yourself with. So if you surround yourself with great people, you're on a good path. If you surround yourself with not so great people, you're on a different path. And I think freedom is the ability to put yourself in situations where you can surround yourself with attract employees, colleagues, board members, network mentors, etc. of quality, then you're on a good path. That's awesome. I, I
0: agree with you 100%. So, um, where can people find you or your latest project? So that'll be the last thing. I'll, it'll be in the, the podcast notes, but uh, maybe you can just, you know, give a little plug here for you.
1: Yeah, well, and, and we didn't mention WeMe Facilitators. I'm also a board member there, who, which is also about uh, coaching and the software service platform for coaching, which is something you okay. can check out um I'm on LinkedIn I try to keep my LinkedIn fairly updated that's also an easy way to contact me uh, CL Invest, CL CL hyphen invest.com is um, the investment company for um, immediate climate action and I um, I suspect you will see much more of that uh, there are big news coming up very soon about this company and um, I found my mission for for the foreseeable future, so you'll see me mostly there. Um, I don't have um, other social media that I have time for, and I'm contemplating leaving Facebook for the third time, maybe for good. Um, <laughs> you and everybody else. <laughs> sorry for say throwing that in there, but uh, it's okay. also you know meaningful for networking, for managing kids, and all of that, but. Yeah, uh, more, um, hopefully less digital, more in person, but um, this was very nice. It's a pleasure to meet you and thank you for having me on your show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Arne. That was wonderful. Thank you.